are listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life Moscow Campus, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. My name is Josh Gray. I get the privilege of being the lead servant here at Real Life. I call myself the lead servant because that's what I want to be. I want to I serve well here, and I want to lead a team of people that love to serve and show off who God is. So I'm privileged to be here. Thanks for letting me be here for another week, and uh, I'm excited about that. And we're going to continue on in our uh, sermon series of Being Forever Changed. Last week was on Simon Peter. Um, and then the week before that, Darby taught, uh, or one of our new guys taught. So if you missed any of that, you've been gone, you've been enjoying the lakes, you've been having fun uh, on vacation, you can always go online and check all that stuff out. As well, I look forward to it. I think it comes out every Monday or Tuesday. I just wait for this Facebook post to happen, and it gives us a link to our worship songs. And you like just you don't have to do hardly anything. You just click on the link. It takes you right to the YouTube link. And then it plays them all like in order for you. You do have to skip the commercials uh, on occasion. Uh, but uh, I'm like, it wasn't an, uh, com- coming out of that grave. wasn't a new song for me. You know why? Because I got to hear it three or four times this week. As I sound fantastic worshiping in the shower or worshiping in other places, I sound great. Uh, my wife can verify. I have a great voice. Um, and uh, anyway, um, been cut from several worship teams. No. And. Uh, I always kind of want to hang around the band because they're so cool, but they never really let me, you know. Um, But come prepared. Come prepared with your heart of having a chance to have gone through those songs. And like, uh, I know that I may be slightly distracting up here, but I am really crying out to our Father in heaven. I believe the words that I'm saying when I'm standing up here singing. I'm not, I stand in front because I don't want to be distracted by you. And I want to just reach out to our Father in heaven, and I believe what we're saying. So come prepared. It's a powerful time in our church. So speaking of worship, folks, we have our new guy coming, uh, Greg and Christina, and their family will be moving in, I think, on Friday. And so we're super stoked for them. They're coming fast. They interviewed about uh, 20 days ago. We offered, and they're here, and they're, we'll be praying for their house to sell quickly uh, when they get for, for being here and just, uh, just completing our team. We're super excited. So. All right, well, let's dive in here. So we are going to talk about how uh, a Roman centurion was forever changed. And we find this, uh, this story in two different pieces of the, of the gospel. We find it in Matthew and we find it in Luke. And remember, uh, with the text, details matter. And so if, if there's something in there about a location or a title, that matters, okay? And so uh, we see about this, this faith of a, of a Roman centurion. So I thought a great place to start would be, what is a centurion? And so these, uh, there's a reform about 107 BC. Uh, Rome was starting to not do well in some different battles, and they kind of kind of remapped how they were going to organize their army and what that was going to look like. It used to be that you could be in the army if you were wealthy and you provided your own weapons and your own stuff, and that wasn't very many people at that time. And so they kind of changed it around, and it required them to have leaders and people in places of leadership that would do that. And so when you think about a Roman centurion, they were a professional officer in the Roman army, and they were in the Roman navy as well. Um, and they, what do you think about, what do you think when you say centurion, what does that rhyme with? Century. And century is how much? 100. How many people do you think a Roman centurion probably commanded? No, 80. No, 100. Uh, 100. Uh, 20 of them would probably be servants and, and those type of things that would help out with that. So, um, and so as you continue to think about what a centurion is, what are the qualifications to be a centurion? So I want you to think Braveheart. I want you to think 
Russell Crowe, not ladies, not Russell Crowe that way, uh, Russell Crowe like gladiator. Don't give any woo-hoos, honey. <laughs> I look just like him. No, um, in, my, in my mind. Um, but think, think of Captain Winners and Band of Brothers. These are the leaders. To be a Roman centurion, you had to have served in the military and served well. You were an expert in all types of warfare. You, your, your size and your stature and your strength mattered. Um, you got paid about four to roughly 17 times more than an average soldier. So you were a big deal. And you had a different look um, to you. You had medals on your chest from wars and different things you've been in. A lot of the way that I see our military shape today, I'm like, man, I could trace it back. There you go. Like these told stories of where you've been and what you've done. Their uniforms were different. I think I can't remember what the, what are the things on the bottom called? Any military experts in here? The, these. Shin guards. The shin guards. They're not called shin guards. That's soccer. Sheaths. Sheaths? Greaves. Thank you, sir. Greaves. So they wore greaves, which was different than, than other folks. Their uniform was different. They had this, the helmet that they could sweep up messes with afterwards. No. Um, <laughs> but they were identified. If you saw a centurion, you knew that was a centurion. You knew they were important. They were different. They were a big deal. So think of captain. Think of uh, major. Think of somebody like that in the military. They are, and these are frontline battle-hardened, uh, usually you had to be 30 years old or older. So think about a lifespan back then. Yeah, you were, you were, you were, you've done some life, okay? So now we know what a centurion is. Now, the story happens in uh, Capernaum, and Capernaum's a pretty important place uh, in Jesus' ministry. It's kind of what he called home and where he spent a bunch of time there. Peter's uh, house was there. His mother's house was there. There's, there's a church built right over the top of it when I got to visit uh, Capernaum. It's, a, it's, a, it's a right on the sea. This is the synagogue that I was in, and you guys can ask me a question about something funny that happened here uh, later. Uh, but this is a synagogue, maybe the synagogue, even that the Jewish elders said that this Roman centurion helped build. And so as you think about the story of who this is and how they were forever changed, what does this look like? You know the location. You know who it's talking about. And why would Jesus say the things he said about this man? So we're going to look at both accounts of that. Uh, Let's start off here in Luke. Uh, After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, that's Jesus, he entered uh, Capernaum. Now, a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly saying, he is worthy to have you do this for him. He loves our nation and he's the one who built us our synagogue. He built us our place to worship the father in heaven. Please, do you understand when you're praying to God in heaven for someone else, you're interceding, you're asking God to intercede into their life? You're asking God to change something and you might even have the faith to believe it could happen? These guys are pretty passionate about that. And Jesus went with them. 
when he was not far off from the house, the centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, comma, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. I've heard about who you are. I know about what you've done. Braveheart. Gladiator. Lord, don't even come in here. I know who you are. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word, your very word, say the word, Lord, and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority. I understand authority. And yours is pretty amazing. With soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servants, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. He was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such a faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Marveled at his faith. I want you to be thinking about this as we go through. Say, say this with me. Thalmadzo. Thalmadzo. We find that word three times uh, in, in, the, in the New Testament here. And it means marveled at or amazed. Thalmadzo. And we find it uh, here in Luke, and we find it in Matthew, and then we also find it in Mark 6.6. It was interesting as I was thinking about and wondering if God would ever marvel or be amazed at my faith. I'm sure he was. I'm sure he's been amazed at my faith. Hopefully not like in Mark 6.6 when he thaumazoed or marveled or was amazed at the lack of faith of the people of Nazareth. So there's a time where he's amazed at the lack of faith of somebody and then two accounts here where he's uh, amazed or marveling at their faith. So as I was studying this week and reading this, I'm like, well, wait a minute. There's, it's in two of the four gospels. What's going on here? And, and these gospels seem to be, uh, have a little bit of a different account. There are some similar things, but then like the back end of Matthew's, uh, I would say, comes pretty hard at people, Right? Uh, but Matthew says this was a first-person encounter. And uh, Luke says, I'm like, what's going on here? So let's read Matthew's account, and maybe we'll, we'll, we'll share a little bit about that. So this is Matthew's account of the same thing. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, comma, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say that word and my servant will be healed. I heard about you, Jesus. I heard that your words change the world, that your words heal, and I actually believe it. For I am too a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he marveled, 
And he said to those who followed him, truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from the east and the west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Amen? We're in the west. We get to come and recline at that table. While the sons of the kingdom, he's talking to you people around me, right? While the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness. In that place there will be a weeping and gnashing of teeth. Why would there be a weeping and gnashing of teeth? They're thrown into this outer darkness, but yet this Roman occupier, this, this gladiator, this, this awesome soldier, who some of the soldiers weren't so nice to the Jewish folks, apparently this guy was, he's going to be in the kingdom of heaven. I'm amazed at his faith. But God's some of his own chosen people will will have weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, he said, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. So you guys see the slight difference in in the account, right? One's a first-person account. So as I was doing some homework on this um, and, and reading about it, it was, it was, here, here was one of the thoughts on this from a, uh, from a commentary that I was reading. So remember that Luke was writing to a Gentile audience. Luke wanted Theopolis to be aware that most Jewish people respected God-fearing uh, Roman soldier, right? So Luke was a what? A physician, Right? And we see in a lot of Luke's writings and different pieces, like he's fairly detailed because physicians are fairly detailed, right? And so his account of, of different things can, can have a little bit more uh, um, uh, adjectives. He's describing things differently, right? And so, and then we think about uh, Matthew's writing. Who is Matthew writing to? He's writing to a Jewish audience, And he wanted them to know that a Roman centurion was sincerely respectful of Jesus. So when we think about these, when they're they're viewed with the different perspectives in the audience, it kind of understands why he would tell it differently, right? So there'd be a a first-person account and a third-person account with lots of detail. And then Matthew comes and puts the hammer down at the end of his and and, and, and calling people out, calling the Jewish audience out saying that these Gentiles, this Gentile Roman soldier is going to be in, but are you going to be in? So why did Jesus marvel? Thamadzo, why did, he, why did he marvel at this kind of faith? That's a good question. How many people in here would love it if Jesus were to marvel at your faith, to be amazed at your faith, in a good way? Yeah, me too. He's been pretty amazed at my faith too, I'm sure, at some different times. Oh boy, right? Um, And so wouldn't it make sense as I was going through this and researching this week, I mean, Lord, what does it look like? What did you marvel about the faith of that Roman centurion? What were some of those things that you marveled at? And you notice how as we were reading that, we paused on Lord, comma. So number one is he, this Gentile, Jewish gladiator, Russell Crowe looking dude in my mind, right? 
He Lord. He submits. He acknowledges him at Lord as Lord. And how is that working for us in here? Well, I'm already saved. I'm going to heaven. I said the sinner's prayer. I acknowledge him as Lord once. But what I'm finding is my acknowledgement of the Lord happens daily. It happens hourly. It happens moment by moment where I'm trying to acknowledge him and hear him because I am under his authority. So maybe Jesus marveled at the fact that this man who understands authority would submit himself to a higher authority. How are we doing at submitting ourselves to our authority in heaven? I submit to him as long as it doesn't require me to change in ways I don't want to change. Uh Uh-oh. So this authority, I think, that Jesus marvels at. Maybe he's marveling at the fact that this man has compassion for one of his servants. And wouldn't it be neat to know that maybe our Father in heaven has compassion for his servants, which is what we are. So how are you in the compassion department with our new 10,000 best friends that just moved into, into Moscow this last week who are understanding crosswalks and stuff? Are you compassionate? They don't under, they, obviously, they don't understand authority. It's crosswalk, not a cross ride. No. Um, <laughs> compassion. Right? And as you see, maybe he's marveling at the structure of understanding what it means to submit your life. And so I guess I just throw that challenge out to, to myself this week. I'm in a new position of authority in a church. And with that authority comes great responsibility. And with that authority comes the great responsibility to have compassion, to see, to serve. I want to call myself the first servant because I want to be a great servant because I want to lead a church of great, amazing servants, of people who see others, who are passionate about the text, who are diving in, who are having these conversations in the hallway about the text and what God is doing in their life. And, and they love to worship because they believe what they're saying to our Father in heaven. And you know, this Roman soldier is going to have a problem this, the centurion's going to have a problem on Caesar's birthday because he has confessed Jesus Christ as Lord. He believes in Jesus Christ's power to heal his own servants. Where are you at? Do we acknowledge that he's around, but do you believe that he has the ability to change right now. Change your life, change your circumstances, change your place. So what, how are we doing at acknowledging that? And here's another thing. In First Samuel 16, 7, it says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance. So we just saw this appearance. Can you imagine just this jacked up super strong, amazing centurion, war-battled war scars on his face, just a, a monster of a man. 
Jesus is not marveling at his appearance. Do not look at his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. How many of us try to put on outward appearances? I do. I want to be thinner. I'm wearing cowboy boots. I'm not a cowboy. I just like my boots. They're cool. Right? Right? But put on these outward appearances. But you know what God's really concerned about? My heart. And you know what people of this world are going to fall in love with as we reach the world for Jesus Christ one person at a time? They're going to fall in love with a heart that's chasing after our Father in heaven. They're going to fall in love with a heart that understands authority and when they're given power and authority that knows how to use that for his kingdom. They're going to fall in love. They're going to be amazed. They're going to to marvel at somebody who has compassion and sees others. Really, when you think about church growth and how churches move and change, and there's good, there's, there's good preaching, there's a great music, there's a great venue, and like half the people, like churches grow because they have a cool place to go. Half of them have some dynamic, amazing preacher, speaker, speaker guy. Uh, half of them have some rock band, awesome music, and it's all cool on Sunday, and everybody comes in, and everybody goes out, and comes in, goes out, comes in, goes out, and they have a life cycle. And they have a life cycle where this preacher becomes old. They have a life cycle where the seats aren't as comfortable or the music's not as cool or the technology's not as cool. You know what's not going out of style? Love. Never has. Buildings come and go. But how we are going to treat people. And if you, want, if you want your faith to be marveled at, let's look at, the, let's look at the centurion. Acknowledge him as Lord. Understand his authority in your life. See people, have compassion for people. Worry about what's inside your heart, not what kind of car we're driving or house we live in, but what's coming out of here, the wellspring of your body. So we're gonna take this time to to go into communion. If you're gonna serve communion, thank you so very much. Head on back there and we'll get that. Uh, We have an open table. Super cool. You don't even have to be a member of real life to take communion here with us. But if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, uh, we would love for you to take that. We'll hold it and take it all together. Um, If not, just let it go by. So let's take a look at some uh, questions we can ask around the dinner table. If you're not in a home group or your home group's just doing barbecues right now. Um, Let's take a look. What does this look like in our life? So I have a question. Have you given authority of your life over to Jesus? Beyond I said the sinner's prayer. I'm talking about everyday life. I'm talking about everyday decisions. When you're making an investment decision, is that authority over to Jesus and are you asking him? Where are we giving our authority of our life over to Jesus beyond just the sinner's prayer? Does he get to be Lord of your life? You heard that before? I've heard that before. You accepted Jesus, but are you allowing him to be Lord? Are you calling him Lord, like the Roman centurion did? And how about this? 
What are areas, uh, what areas still need to be surrendered? Thanks to this fabulous sermon, the Lord's got a chance to give me some new areas to be surrendered in. And that's a question, it's like one of those things where you pay for patient, or patience, and they're like, don't ever pay for patience, you're going to be in victory. You know? Like, Lord, tell me, where do you want me to surrender? Even in the little things. I had to call this week on a, on a, on a Thursday, and I was sitting there, and I was getting very busy. I was very busy getting ready for the sermon, doing all these different things, and uh, this guy popped in my, my brain, just weird. This guy I met in Mobile, Alabama, he's not weird, but the thought was weird, and I was like, you know what? I need to... Uh, I need to call Mark. I need to talk to him. And so I was really obedient. I texted him. I was like, hey, how you doing, bud? And he said, I'm doing okay. How are you doing? And then I went to text him back, and the Lord was like, I said, told you to call him. Like, be a relational human being, Captain Relationship. Right? Call him. Talk to him. Speak to him. Hear his heart. And guess what I could hear in his voice as we talked? He was going through challenges. He was really working through stuff. I could hear the anguish that I couldn't hear in a text message. And by the time we got done talking, he was like, man, this is an answer to prayer. Josh, thanks for calling me. I hadn't talked to him probably three, four months, maybe more longer than that. Now that I don't say this story to point to me, I just say this story that I'm trying to be obedient. I'm trying to surrender and do what God tells me to do the best that I can in the little things, making a phone call. How about when you walk past somebody and you're like, oh, I should have said something I'm going to all go all the way back. It's very inconvenient. My, you know, my faith is very inconvenient. It's inconveniencing me. But to be there for that person. So what areas of your life still need to be surrendered? What are some recent stories you've, uh, where you or others have stepped out in faith and God showed up? You know, I, I'm super excited for our new worship guy here, he sent me a, a nice email and he said, we didn't even want to come to Idaho. When you called me, Josh, we were like, we love it. This is where we lived in California our whole life. This is where our family is. This is where everything is. And he said, by the end of Thursday, I wasn't even here. He hadn't met me yet, which is probably a blessing. By the end of Thursday on my interview, my wife and I knew we were coming here. And things have happened so fast for them. And how God's moving them and selling their house and doing different things. Like, I'm watching this miracle just unfold from a phone call. Where are you seeing it? And are you telling anybody about cool things you're seeing? Because that gets people excited when they know God is real, when he's active. Don't hide the miracles that God is doing in your life. And, and don't say, well, it's just it's not really that big of a deal. It, it's probably a pretty big deal. It's probably not big of a deal to you, but it's a pretty big deal to somebody else who needs to hear that. What are some practical ways you can step out in faith this week? What's going to happen? You asked for that. Lord, give me some practical ways to step out in faith this week. Guess what he's going to do? He's going to provide those opportunities. And are you going to act on them? Are you giving Jesus the opportunity to marvel at your faith, to be amazed that you would call him Lord? To be amazed that you have authority and that you're submitting that authority to him and serving others well and seeing others well. Because I want to get to the end of my life and say, hey, you know, well, well done, good and faithful servant. And I want him to have a list of things he could marvel at that are good because he has a list already that I've given him that are like, eh. Yeah. And how has God forever changed you? 
As we wind down this, this series, we're asking for stories. How has God forever changed you? And it doesn't have to be just here at Real Life. Maybe that's cool too. But I want to hear the stories. I asked that on Thursday night. I gave out my email address, Josh G at liferotp.com. You all have it now, right? And email me with a story. If you don't want it shared, that's cool. But if you want it, if, if, if it's something you're like, you know what, God has changed my life. And it may be something little or small, but I want to be able to be up here in a couple weeks and be buried in stories about how God is forever changing us right here today 2019, Moscow, Idaho, and we're reading about stories that were forever changed 2,000 years ago, people's stories as well, right? So please, share your story. Some of them aren't complete. Some of you guys are right in the middle of a firestorm. But share your stories because they're really God's stories. And we'll reach the world for Jesus Christ one person at a time when you allow your story to be shared that glorifies God, Amen. believe your story can glorify God your story can inspire somebody to submit their life to Jesus he wants to use it except you get to let him use it you get to make the choice all right so that night he was sitting there with his disciples And he was betrayed. He took the bread, and when he'd given it, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. It's for you. I'm giving it to you. Do this and remember to me. Let's remember our Lord. And he took the cup, in the same way he took the cup, and after supper, uh, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do, do this. Whenever you drink it, remember, do and remember to me. Let's remember our Lord. Father, I just thank you for this time with our family here. You have, uh, you're just bringing amazing folks, Lord, to serve you well. And I uh, just ask that this message today, would uh, your message, your words, Lord, of how you forever change the Roman centurion would inspire folks. You would inspire us to understand authority and how we have been given authority and how we use that authority, how we submit that authority to you, Father. We want you to marvel at our faith. And so we call you Lord. You're the King of Kings, Lord of Lords. We see your people. We see their needs. Help us to have compassion. And not just compassion to say, oh, that's so sad, but compassion to do something about it. Compassion to be forever changed. You said, come and follow me. We want to follow you, Lord. You said you would make us. Please, Lord, make us fishers of men. So, Father God, I just thank you for this time. I thank you for your word. I thank you for our worship. Help us, Lord. We want to chase you well in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life on the Palouse. You can find out more about us by visiting us online at liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.